Section 12 of With Fire and Sword. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. With Fire and Sword by Samuel H. M. Byers. Chapter 11, Part 1. Escaping from Macon. An Adventure in Atlanta in the disguise of a confederate soldier my wanderings inside the confederate army and what i experienced there i am captured as a spy how i got out of it all i have related how suddenly we prisoners were hurried from libby prison in richmond to the town of macon in georgia it was now the hot summer of eighteen sixty four that summer when sherman only a hundred and fifty miles from our prison was having a battle every day he was marching and fighting his way to atlanta seven hundred of us all federal officers were now penned up in a hot stockade i copy a page from my diary the walls here at macon prison are twelve feet high sentries are posted near the top of them on a platform running around the outside their orders are to shoot any prisoners seen approaching the deadline. This deadline is simply marked off by an occasional stake and is twelve feet inside the surrounding wall. It is fearfully hot here inside this stockade. The ground is pure sand, reflecting the sun's rays powerfully. We had no cover of any kind at first save the blankets stretched over pine sticks. It is as hot here at Macon as it was called at Libby Prison. We tried digging a tunnel by which to escape. It was four feet underground and seventy-five feet long. It was barely ready when some spy revealed it, and our chance was lost. For my own part, I was determined to get away. The food was now again horrible, and all kinds of indignities and insults were heaped upon the prisoners. One night, during a hard rain, I attempted to escape through a washout under the stockade. I remained by the spot till nearly midnight, not knowing that I was being watched every moment. As I was about to give up the attempt and go away, Captain Gesner of a New York regiment came to the little brook for a cup of water. The guard who had been watching me then fired, and Gesner dropped dead. They came in with lanterns to see who had been killed, and the guard who had fired related how he had watched the man for nearly two hours, trying to escape. I did not dare say that it was I, not poor Gesner, who had been trying to get away. Now I contemplated, too, a different means of escape. It was to get a rebel uniform, escape from the stockade by some means, and enter the rebel army in disguise, trusting my chance to get away during the first battle. There was but one gate or door to the stockade, and this door was kept constantly closed. It was guarded by a sentinel who stood, gun in hand, immediately above it, while a corporal stood watch below. Once a day a few guards and officers entered the door, closed it behind them, and formed us into lines for counting. I had studied a small map of the country for days, and by dint of trading tobacco, etc., with an occasional guard who was dying for the weed, I acquired, piece by piece, a pretty decent rebel uniform. This I kept buried in the sand where I slept. 
July 15, 1864, came around. My term of enlistment expired that day. I had been in the Union Army three years. Was it not a good time to give the rebels a trial? There were a few old sheds not far from the gate, and in one of these, one morning, about nine o'clock, I waited with a friend and saw the sergeants and the guards come in, when the bell rang to count the prisoners. I had resurrected my rebel uniform and had quietly slipped it on. It fitted amazingly. My friend was lingering there simply to see what would become of me. He has often declared since then that he expected me to be shot the moment I should approach the deadline. The prisoners were some way off, in rows, being counted. I stepped from under cover and quickly walked up to and over the deadline by the gate. The guard, walking above, brought his gun from his shoulder, halted, and looked at me. I paid no attention, but not. When the door opened and the corporal stepped in the opening and asked what I wanted, the lieutenant misses a roll list and I must run out and bring it from headquarters, I answered, pushing by him hurriedly. There was no time for questions and the corporal, before getting over his surprise, had passed me out as a rebel sergeant. I quickly turned the corner, passed a number of johnnies sitting on the grass drinking coffee and went straight up to the commandant's tent near the edge of the wood, but did not go in. I had not looked behind me once, but expected every moment to hear a bullet whizzing after me. I passed behind the tent, walked slowly into the wood, and then ran my best for an hour. I was outside of prison. How free, how green, how beautiful all things seemed. It was the joy of years in a few minutes. Of course, I was instantly missed at the roll call, and bloodhounds were soon upon my track. I avoided them, however, by different manoeuvres. I changed my course shortly, repassed the prison pen on the opposite side, and went back and up into the city of Macon. After wandering through its streets for an hour, I again took to the woods. That night I slept in a swamp of the Okmulgee River. What bedfellows I had! frogs, lizards, bats, and alligators. But it was better than the inside of a war prison. All the next day I lay in a blackberry patch, fearing to move but feasting on the luscious ripe berries. What a contrast it was to my previous starving! Never in the world shall I enjoy food so again. Near to me was a watering station for the railway to Atlanta. As I lay in the bushes, I heard trains halting all the day. With night came a glorious moon, such a flood of heaven's own light I had never seen before. By ten at night, a long empty train halted, and in two minutes I had sprung from the bushes and was inside of an empty freight car. In ten minutes more, I stood in the door of the car, watching the fair farms and the hamlets of Georgia, sleeping under the glorious moonlight, while I was being hurled along heaven knew where. That was the strangest ride of my life. The conductor came along when we were near Atlanta, swinging his lantern into the cars, and found a strange passenger. He threatened all sorts of things if my fare were not paid. Of course I had no money, but I put myself on my dignity, told him I was a convalescent soldier coming back from a furlough, and dared him or any other civilian to put me off the train. That ended the colloquy. 
and just before daylight the whistle screamed for atlanta and i was inside the lines of hood's army i left the train and in a few moments was tucked away in the haymow of a barn near the station so far good but daylight brought a squad of rebel cavalry into the barn who to my dismay soon commenced climbing up to the mow for hay for their horses my presence of mind was about leaving me utterly when i happened to notice an empty sugar hogshead in the corner of the mow before the rebels were up i was in it and there i sat and perspired for six mortal hours those hours were days every one of them all of this time sherman's army then besieging atlanta was throwing shells into our neighborhood at last at last the rebels saddled their horses and rode out of the barnyard i was not long in changing my headquarters for days and days i walked up and down atlanta among the troops to the troops away from the troops always moving always just going to the regiment to which i had attached myself as ordnance sergeant i was very careful however to keep far away from that particular regiment i knew its position its chief officers knew in fact the position of every brigade in hood's army it was to my interest under the circumstances to know them well for i was continually halted with such exclamations as hello which way where's your regiment what are you doing way over here a hundred times i was on the point of being arrested and carried to my alleged command for every man i met i had a different tale to suit the circumstances at night i slept where i could under a tree behind a dry goods box it made little difference as my lying down on the ground hungry pillowless and blanketless and fearing every moment to be arrested could not be called sleeping this life was growing monotonous at last the more so as aside from an occasional apple i had nothing at all to eat about the fifth day i overheard an old irishman hoeing among his potatoes bitterly reviling the war to his wife i made his acquaintance and discovered our sentiments as to the rebellion to be very nearly identical under the most tremendous of oaths as to secrecy i told who i was and that i was absolutely starving if he would help me i knew how to save his property when sherman's army should enter that it would enter and that atlanta would be razed to the ground and every human being's throat cut he had not a doubt still if detected in secreting or feeding me he would be hanged from his own doorpost there was no doubting that either however that night i slept in his cellar and was fed with more than the crumbs from his table it was arranged that i should wander about the army daytimes and come to his cellar unknown to him of course about ten every night when his family were likely to be in bed the outside door was to be left unlocked for me prisoners did not carry timepieces in the south mine disappeared with my pistols on the battlefield of chattanooga and as an unfortunate result i went to my den in the cellar an hour too early one evening none of my protector's family seemed to have been aware of the guest in the cellar i was sitting quietly in a corner of the dark damp place when the trap-door opened above and a young lady bearing a lamp descended and seemed to be searching for something it was a romantic situation 
destined to be more so. Groping about the cellar, the young lady approached me. I moved along the wall to avoid her. She unluckily followed. I moved farther again. She followed, cornered me, screamed at the top of her voice, dropped the lamp, and fainted. In half a minute, three soldiers who had happened to be lunching upstairs, the old lady, and my friend her husband, rushed down the steps armed with lights. The old gentleman recognized me and was in despair. I think I too was in despair, but, rightfully or wrongfully, I took to my heels and escaped through the door which I had entered, leaving the fainting girl, the despairing father, and the astonished soldiers to arrange matters as they might. The girl recovered, I learned, years afterward, and her father's house was one of the few that escaped the flames when Sherman started to the sea. From that night on I slept again at the roadsides, and as for rations I might say I did not have any. The weather was terribly hot, but I spent my days wandering from regiment to regiment, and from fort to fort, inspecting the positions and the works. I knew if I did get through, all this would be equal to an army corps for Sherman. End of chapter 11, part 1